Thank you for listening to Drinking with Authors. This podcast contains adult themes, adult language, adult subjects, including alcohol, sex, and solipsistic existential nihilism. Now we ask if you are drinking along with us to please drink and listen responsibly. Oh, welcome to Literary Briefs, the follow-up podcast to um, the other podcast, so it follows... Damn it. So, um, the, the drinking part is emphasized in yeah, this phase it really of is. the podcast. So, um, I'm your host, Erica Lance. And I'm Austin Scott Collins. And we are at. We are at <laughs> Waypoint Six Tavern and Geekery in Largo, Florida. Yes, they've been amazing to host us today, and we have an amazing guest today. Austin, do you want to introduce him? John King, author of Guy Psycho and the Ziggurat of Shame, available wherever fine books are sold. Welcome back, John. Thank you. So this is our literary briefs. It's a shorter episode that involves underwear that we ask rapid fire questions. Okay, so wait, we're Simper supposed, Ubi, we're supposed to talk about what we've been drinking. I finished mine, but it was a Pangalactic Gargle Pan Blaster. Pangalactic Gargle Blaster, yes. And I've been drinking a dark and stormy night. And John has been drinking? One Rum Punch Man. One wait, Rum Punch Man. That, wait, just, that rolls off the tongue, doesn't it? No, not at all. It doesn't <laughs> at all. So um, besides being an amazing author, John is actually the host of The Drunken Odyssey, a podcast about writing life. That has way more episodes than ours by... 405. Yes, which is way more episodes than ours. Yeah, I I think this is our third. (laughs) You know, sometimes I want to punch you in the face. Wait a minute, have we done other episodes? I'm really kind of fuzzy on that. I'm thinking back, and it's like... Pretty sure you're up in the teens, at least. Did did we just talk about it? We talked about (laughs) any other... This is our first inaugural episode. Okay. Who are you? (laughs) Okay, we're going to start with the rapid-fire questions. I fell off the jungle, Jim, and when I woke up, I was here. That would actually fucking happen to you. I don't know why you're saying it like that. Do you feel all tingly inside? I can't feel my legs. No, wait, those aren't my legs. Those are somebody else's legs. (laughs) Ah! No, just kidding. So, okay, rapid fire questions. What is your favorite book? Uh, Dramatic pause. Your podcast hasn't failed. (laughs) The Memoirs of a Shy Pornographer by Kenneth Patchen. Whoa. Good choice. Oh, have you read that? I've heard of it. Oh, <laughs> that's way better that's than me. That's a good one. No, that's fucking way better than me. Okay. Kenneth Patchen was kind of uh, tangential to the Beat Generation writers. He was uh, very bohemian, not really a beatnik. Uh, he's got an album of like jazz poetry. So he was a poet and he wrote a few novels. And I think that The Memoirs of a Shy Pornographer is a postmodern masterpiece. I think it's in 1945. I think it's the first postmodern novel. Oh wow! I will make that, and I have a PhD, so that that added, that uh, opinion should have some cultural weight. Yeah, no, and it's actually um, not filthy. Well, that's <laughs> disappointing. Um, <laughs> oh, I mean, you could bring your filthy imagination to it. I it hope adds so up because to filthy, um, I'm not interested if it's not a complete <laughs> smut show. Um, well, I, have a se- I have a separate reading list for you then. Okay, but, good. Okay. Um, what is your least favorite book? <sighs> Dramatic sigh. That's a secret. I can't tell. No, that it's, it, it's, we do not have secrets on drinking with authors, <laughs> as evidenced by the fact that we get too drunk to remember that we have secrets. Um, 
I will say that I have a contentious relationship with Macbeth. <laughs> well, don't we all? Uh, I find Doesn't it. Doesn't everyone? <laughs> well, okay. If we look at Othello, you can kind of root for every character in Othello. Okay. Like, what? it's a horrible thing, and you're like, okay, I know how this is going to end, and it's fucking ugly. And and I love you. Uh, well, <laughs> yeah, it's love tearing two people fucking apart. Like, if Desdemona didn't feel so much love, she wouldn't stay around to get murdered. And if uh, Othello wasn't so fucked up uh, and in love, like, okay, then it wouldn't have mattered. And Iago is so funny and crazy. Like, he's the Joker. Like, okay, like, he's so entertaining. Whereas Macbeth... I want everyone to die, like, by the end of Act One. Well, you're like 85% in luck. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) That's a true story. (laughs) And and then we exit Pursued by Bear. I mean, that's Winter's Tale. (laughs) But I am, you know, I'm a Shakespeare junkie, and so, all right. I was about to say, you went all the way the fuck back to Shakespeare. (laughs) Okay, okay, cool. I love Shakespeare. Yeah, but he likes everything that's been written since then, so we're good. Yeah. You know, it was funny as I was watching um, uh, a TV show called The Good Place, and on the last episode, because they've ended the season, I'm not giving everything away. No spoilers. No spoilers, but one of the things she says is um, that uh, Shakespeare passes on to the place past heaven, and they're glad because his 400th play after (laughs) was not nearly as good as the ones he wrote on Earth, and I thought that was, was pretty funny, as I wonder how Shakespeare would do if there was a continuation of his work. Based on well, a comedy would, that I saw. How would saw any artist do, right? Presumably they're going to keep changing and evolving, and you know, given enough time. Do you think all artists. Okay, this is a good question for you, too. Um, since you have a PhD, which I don't have, I just. I have a PhD in awesomeness, um, which was <laughs> awarded to me by Austin this afternoon. Um, just kidding. He didn't award it to me. Yeah, I wrote it out in crayon. Yeah. Um, as long as it's on paper, it's legit. It's. Too legit to quit. Yeah, um, I'm, I'm, I'm a non-accredited <laughs> university. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Um, but do you think, uh, you know, we've talked about authors a little bit, is that, you know, there's a point of they're dedicated to work, there's a craft, and then there's a dedica- there's a point where they're just sort of feeding the masses. Stephen King's talked about this a little bit in his writing, especially in his drunken writing phase, where he was just... <laughs> Well, for lack of a better way of putting it, and Stephen King, I do love you if you want to be on the show eventually. <laughs> um, but the fact is, is that there was a point he was just throwing out stuff. Like a lot of people don't realize because of the movies, like It, for instance, involves a giant space fucking turtle and an orgy with middle school students and all this stuff that is like, are you fucking kidding me at this point in time? Oh, that's brilliant, though. I don't. <laughs> What's the problem? Why did I ask you to be on the show? What happened? What the fuck? And this has been Drinking with Authors. <laughs> oh, I've got dirtier books than that, though. But um, I mean, It's not dirtier. It's just you kind of go as author, as an author, is there's a point where you're not creating art so much as you're just feeding the masses? Or do you think that's not a thing? I don't. Well, in Stephen King's case, that's not a thing. What is a thing, and I have been thinking long and hard about this recently, is authors who write for a living and that's not a choice we get to make until a publisher says okay here's a six figure deal <laughs> uh, right but if you don't have to 
go or to a, a five day job. figure deal. Some of us can settle if for you, five figures. <laughs> no, you, no, okay. it needs to be a six figure deal okay. because that might be your paycheck for two or three years. Right. That's true. Okay, never mind. But if you get that, then you probably have the luxury of just waking up at ten in the morning, going, "What do I want to write today? What can I, you know, like, where does my passion take me?" Whereas, like everyone at this table, probably this is time you have to steal from something else, and in your spare time, you have to like stay hungry, right, to in order to get projects finished. Whereas there are writers who they just write for a living and, you know, uh, like Joyce Carol Oates, like legend has it, she just had novels that she forgot about in her desk. And it's like, oh, maybe the publisher wants this, Mm -hmm. that she finds it like, oh, I wrote this three years ago. Because when you wake up and you write like two to five pages a day, every day, and there are writers who this is uh, a habit, like Stephen King I think if no one's reading and he can wake up and write every day, he's going to write every day. And I don't think it has a lot to do with an audience. It's certainly not about money because he's got more money than God. You know, I do think quality control is a problem with him, but I don't think it's because of greed. I think it's because of his attachment to the process of writing. And most of us don't have that luxury uh, of of having this wealth of time to write in so that you write three books and maybe not all of them are good. And of course, Stephen King doesn't have to write a good book because his fans will buy them. And until fans turn on you. (laughs) No. And I think that's the point is I agree with you and I agree with what would I like to write today? But you know, there are, are definitely authors and I follow several of them that are great and continuously write and they continuously pump out good stories even though they branch out in the mm-hmm. stories that they're writing. And then there are a few that I'm like, do you have a fucking editor? Like, did your editor mm-hmm. die? Like, you're at a publishing company. Do they? Do you just go in and, you know, wipe your ass on a piece of paper? They take it and they're like, <laughs> this is gold. <laughs> and it's interesting when that happens and I sometimes wonder, especially if a part of your work gets famous, I know we keep referencing Stephen King, but he wrote under a different name to write the Dark Mm -hmm. Tower series and stuff like that because he didn't think his fans were going to be on board with this other weird Lobster Boy Avenue that he had taken, right? And it's interesting to go, okay, are you writing because you have to book do book 27 of X series or... And, and how do you feel about that? Because that's what is paying your bills and paying your everything and your publishers doing that. Or you just sit there and go, I'm really fucking tired about writing about Lobster Boys. You know, like Lobster Boys. It just <laughs> it's a reference. Just go with me on my entire. So what is what, what is your goal? What is your dream as a writer? Uh, no, it doesn't have to be as a writer. Damn it. You're going to go down the avenue <laughs> of pornography again. Stop it. Well, you're making assumptions for not really. You know, what you cued in on during our longer interview is that, you know, there is this plotter in me and then there is this explorer in me and the exploring seems to go against the plotting part. And what that requires is time and room and patience. And so if I had the time to do that, if I had money in a room of one's own four months to just sit with an idea and come up with like the next plot of of my next book Mm -hmm. I think I would be able to come up with something great and instead it's more like I've got four minutes or 
if I pick the right day, okay, maybe I have four hours and like the four hours I can make some progress, but I'm not going to get everything I need out of those four hours. And then it's going to be another month before I have four hours because when I wake up in the morning, like the day job, the what thing that pays the bills. What is your day job? We didn't ever ask that. What is your day job? Uh, I, I work on the docks. No, uh, I, I teach. Okay. He teaches on the docks. So what what kind of output do you think you would I teach would us have? on the docks. They discourage that. But yeah. uh, yeah. in, in an ideal situation where you've got your, your dream lifestyle as a writer, what, what kind of output do you think, do you see yourself doing? I don't know. You know, it's a matter of, you know, what I try and tell writers when they ask me for advice or what I'm teaching is, you know, every project is going to be different. And... You know, the, pro- the problem with trying to be a great novelist and crank out books and, you know, like I want to write a series of books and I don't want Guy Psycho book two to feel exactly like Guy Psycho book one. I don't want the characters to reset to whatever their psychology was at the beginning of Guy Psycho book one, which means that I have to balance like I've got this cast of characters. There are 19 people in Guy Psycho's entourage. And That's got, a lot of fucking people. It is. And I have a dossier on them. And it's like, you it know. It seems like a lot of effort to keep track of that. Portishead released their third album like 15 years after their second album. And what I loved about it is they sounded like they kept making music for all those 15 years. It didn't sound like, oh, and here's like track 14 from the second album. It's like, no, like they're in a different place. And so I think you owe your readers that. So... You but know, do you think all readers want that, or do I mean? Because you're talking about in a little bit, in a way, you touched on pulp, pulp fiction. Yeah, which I love. Pulp fiction is you start again, and you your guys and they uh, with some changes, but you start again. I don't think the divide has to be that great. Yes, they want to feel familiar things. When we watch a Star Wars movie, we don't want to live in a purple and orange world in which everything is upside down. Like we want to see certain things that look that actually sounds pretty cool. Like as a different project. <laughs> absolutely. But we, you know, we want to see things that are familiar. If they feel too familiar, your smart fans will be disappointed. And so, you know, it, it's kind of like this Venn diagram. You, you want to, you know, like I, I, the, the characters are going to advance a certain degree they should still be recognizable, but if they're indistinguishable from who they were at the beginning of the previous book, I failed. Uh, if if no one can see the connection between that person and the person now, then I failed. So, like, I think there is a sweet spot in the middle where most of your readers who liked what you do can be moved along. And, of course, you're going to have people who are like, I don't know, like, and and it's it does bug me sometimes to hear those opinions and the horror of the internet is everyone has an opinion, and it seems like all these opinions are equal. Pirates of the Caribbean five, they're like, oh Jack Sparrow, he's, it's it's like he hasn't learned anything. It's like why would he learn anything? He's an alcoholic and he's like this chaos character, and like he's doing what Jack Sparrow does, and that people are like, it's fine if you know like you only have so much appetite for Pirates of the Caribbean, but they were acting like. Jack Sparrow's characterization was somehow flawed because, what, he hasn't found a bigger heart? I don't, what do you want out of that character? He should have had the Grinch ending. Um, I do have a question. <laughs> do you write every day? Uh, no. No, I don't. 
Are you one of the people that doesn't believe in that? Because a lot of writers believe that even if you spend 20 minutes, you at least have words to paper, and it becomes sort of ritualistic to do that. If that works for you, that's great. I do believe in like a weekly check-in. Um, I, I think what we're talking about, all right, there are two conversations here. One is about forming habits, and the other is about accountability. I don't like having two conversations when I've had <laughs> as much drink as I've had, but go for it. Well, okay. So <laughs> I aim for accountability. So I don't know when I'm going to be able to write. And sometimes, like in the right mood, I could write 10 pages that are going to be great. And, you know, uh, I can also force myself to write and it'll be garbage. Now, the idea is even if you're writing garbage, like the average is going to get better and you just keep writing. And so... You know, what we're talking about is touching your ideas as opposed to letting them stay in the shelf. What happens when you don't write your ideas down? You know, you're driving around and you get a fragment of an idea like, oh, what if my character says that? And maybe it's worthless, maybe it isn't. But if you don't write it down, then your brain is storing up brain power going, hold on to that fucking idea instead of if you write it down, then your brain goes, oh, by the way, here's the next idea. No. So for me... The important thing is about touching your ideas and touching your projects and trying to stay in touch with them about whether, you know, or not you're technically writing a page every day or spending 20 minutes every day. Like, if you could do that, if that works for you, like, uh, you have my Pope's blessing, absolutely go do that. If that doesn't work for you, if that doesn't work for you, then that's fine. Um, If you want to be a writer and you're not even scribbling ideas down. Like if, if after a week you have nothing, then you're not a writer. You're someone who wants to be a writer. Okay. And there are weeks that are like, okay, shit show weeks. So it's, it's not like, okay, if it's three weeks, but you know, on average, once a week, you should have time you've scheduled for yourself, even if it's just to scribble down just ideas, fragments. So do you do that every week? I do. There's a pause there. Yeah, I don't schedule it. John, there's a pause. I don't schedule it, but yeah, no, it's important. (laughs) I try and I have so many documents open on my computer at the same time. I try and take a look at what I'm working on so that the idea stays fresh in my head so that it doesn't go away. So that, you know, most of my life isn't about, oh, my fucking back hurts. Do you think that um, that is sort of your biggest enemy in a way? Because it sounds like... You know, a lot of us have really great ideas. Some of us write, I like, I write two genres, for instance. Austin actually writes two genres, too. And you can get let that get away with you. We, we, we talk about it a lot. I'm very much a pantser, and he's very much a plotter on a lot of his books. But we talk about that you can almost get overburdened with ideas instead of getting an actual product done. If you want to be a published author and continue to publish your work and create a fan base for your work. It's great if you get a fault in our stars out there. Everybody loves it. Oprah book club, whatever the fuck happened to that book. And everybody thinks it's the greatest thing since sliced bread movie was terrible, but fuck that book. Yeah. But, um, I fucking love the book. I fucking hated the movie, but, um, but in order to kind of build that up, like the fans of guy psycho want more, Mm -hmm. they want more. They want you to do book two and book three and book four and book five. Do you think that you get a little too distracted with your other ideas than to move forward with generating, like going at least once a year, I'm going to give a guy psycho book? 
Yeah, I, I could never agree to that schedule. So I'm probably the George R. R. Martin without the fan base. But uh, <laughs> fuck George R. R. Martin. I'm going to junk punch him. He's already been warned that if he shows up on the show, he's being junk punched by me. <laughs> Look, the main character is an alcoholic. You get what you get. But if there's a Guy Psycho book two, and you know I am trying to work on it, but it has to be great. And if it's, you know, so that if it comes out, like, that's my stamp of approval saying, this is as good as book one. And it's going to be different enough to feel like a ride. It will be familiar enough to feel like you're deepening your relationship with these characters. Uh, but if I can't do that, I'm okay with no book two. So is, is that what's next? Or do you have something else in the pipeline? I have a couple of things in the pipeline. And so what I'm trying to do is... Uh, plot in my, you know, messy painter's way to figure out what's going to have critical mass. Why do I think I can finish faster? Uh, because what I would really love to do is have a, a novel plotted out and then just write the fuck out of it. And so when you say critical, are you looking for like literary fiction critical? Or are you looking for selling fucking books? Because those are two totally different things. Uh, for me, they're not, but I will say that the literature part is taking more of a backseat to the, you know, uh, what do I think there are readers for? But it also has to be a case of what do I think there are readers for that I myself would want to read? You know, like I love good pulp fiction. Like I love good genre fiction. I don't think there's a genre where I've never seen a book that I didn't love. You know, like I've read a great romance novel. Um, that doesn't mean I'm going to pick up an average romance novel and not just feel dirty from having looked at uh, three pages. Uh, so for, you know, uh, for me, it's, it's what do I think there's a readership for that I myself as a reader would really, really dig. Well, and it's interesting you say that because do you think there's a readership for your guy Psycho series? Because I only say that because there's a guy who writes about women having relationships with fucking dinosaurs. Like, the, you know, there is... So many different sort of genres. I'm using quotation marks that nobody can see because it's a fucking podcast. <laughs> but um, you, when you take that, and that's what I meant when I said, do you think you can write for the sake of writing to generate books, to generate income that don't have to be the be all end all of literary artwork that they're out there because they make fucking money because you're putting them out there? Or do you think you have to have, because of your PhD and all of your experience, <laughs> I'm just asking, do you have to have that attachment to, you know, like I have friends, obviously, that are authors that write smutter erotica or romance, and, you know, like they write Western paranormal romance, for instance, which is a new fucking genre out there, right? And so they write that. Guess what? These stories are not, like... Oh my God! The you know Othello. They're not Othello. They're mm -hmm. you know a shapeshifter in the old west. That's a sheriff that gets rid of shapeshifting bank robbers. Although like, ironically, his name is Othello. Yes, it is. <laughs> but I mean, they they generate these because they just sort of stick to the formula and throw these kind of books out. Do you think you could do that, or do you think it has to be within parameters of what you consider very good literary fiction? Dun, dun, dun. When it comes to characterization, I think it has to live up to literature, which is to say my relationship with these characters, my understanding of these they have to be surprising. 
So, um, and for a literary audience, my book seems crazy in terms of how quickly the plot is moving. And for people who might want to read just the absolute typical adventure story, it's like, what's all this literature shit? What's with all the characterization? So, you know, what it is that I have to offer is kind of for those literary readers who love pulp fiction and maybe some pulp readers who maybe want, you know, like a slight variation on what they're doing that's going to slow down from time to time and deepen the relationship with the characters. So for me, in terms of style, I'm always trying to pare back and make it less Baroque and convoluted and trying to make the style really transparent and with a very gentle flourish make it seem literary without it seeming like it's grinding the story to a halt. But when it comes to the characterization, yeah, I do feel like I these characters have to just fucking grip your heart and never let go. And if I'm not getting close to that, then I don't think I have a book I can write. And it's, it's interesting. It's interesting because in saying that, what you're saying is it's it's potentially more time, more in, in invested in creating that type of situation than creating pulp fiction. Because pulp fiction, by definition, was they needed to get paid. They got paid you know, a penny a page or whatever ridiculously low sum it was. So they'd stick paper in their typewriter and they'd write about whatever that characterization happened to be, you know, normally detectives that did different things or sci-fi stories and stuff like that. So, but, so you can't do pulp fiction based on that definition because you're putting a literary spin on it. In terms of, yeah, just a production model. No, I, I can't write a pot boiler and, actually crank it out that quickly so the do you think you can't or you won't do you think it's possible for you to oh, okay i can't no there's something about me that just lets go and stops caring so um i you know uh, i watched all of sex in the city i thought it was a decent show the first time and that's kind of like the characters can sometimes be very slight and they just they've got a point they need to make and the characters are supposed to be archetypal and you know, like sometimes you got to hear honest, intelligent conversations from women without men interrupting. And I'm like, you know what? That's worth watching. So I picked up a Candace book, uh, Bushnell novel. And like, I'm it sorry. took me 20 minutes to read like 40 pages. And I'm like, I just felt like I ate 2000 marshmallows. Like I, I can't read anymore. And it's not because it wasn't difficult, but because there was just... I couldn't find any substance in what I was reading. And I don't mean any insult to Candace Bushnell readers who like what she produces, but it just, it wasn't for me. I couldn't do it. So for me, you know, where the characters make their choices and influence the story, uh, you know, like that's what I, I'm so keen to uh, enjoy as a reader and as a viewer. And so as a writer, uh, you know, that's what I need to discover is just those surprises. So uh, while, you know, I wish I could produce it faster and slicker, uh, like I need that grit of surprising real human characters. Surprising real human characters. And on that note, we are approaching the wind down phase. I want to give you an opportunity for self-promotion. So our guest has been John King, author of Guy Psycho and the Ziggurat of Shame, who also has his own podcast, The Drunken Odyssey, a podcast about the writing life. 
So where can people find you? Well, um, wherever podcasts can be uh, delivered, usually. Acquired. <laughs> and uh, thedrunkenodyssey.com, we do have written content there every week. Uh, and, you know, you get more information about what is on each episode. So thedrunkenodyssey.com. There's also a link for my publications there as well. Wonderful. You have been awesome. Thank you so much for coming to see us. This has been Drinking with Authors, Literary Briefs. I'm Erica Lance. And I'm Austin Scott Collins. And we'll see you next time. <laughs>